Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Realm Presents Dark Heights Season 2, Episode 9. Bradley Lettler. God help me. It's pitch black here. Where am I? There's no sound. Please, God. Nothing. There's nothing. I can't even hear my own heartbeat. Is this the basement of my grandfather's house? Have I done something terrible? Wait, wait. This isn't right. What happened to me? Angels bless and angels keep. The voice of my grandfather's wife. Angels guard me while I sleep. Now say it seven times. My grandfather's wife takes hold of me. Say it now. My glasses. Where are my glasses? I've lost my glasses. This is wrong. God, help me. Something is wrong with me. Who did this? Whoever did this to me? Whoever put me here in the dark? I'll kill them. I'll kill them. The scrape and creak of a heavy door opening is like a lifeline. Someone coming through the door. But I can't see. Why can't I see? Nobody told me someone was down here. It's a young girl's voice. Oh, it's you. You probably don't remember it yet, but I definitely told you we'd be seeing each other soon. I really don't think you believed me. A fluorescent light clicks on above me. It flickers on, off, on. But I can't open my eyes. I sense the light through my eyelids, directly above. That means I'm lying down. The girl says, I'm Hannah. She sits next to me. 
It must be a bed that she's sitting on that I'm lying on. Don't worry about talking, or moving, or opening your eyes. You remember how to do those things. It'll take a while. I bet you're really mad, and really confused. There is a stretch of silence. Then she starts humming a tune I don't recognize. We don't have any radios, or a Walkman. I always wanted a Walkman. Someone else come into the room. A woman. Her voice is much deeper. Hannah? What are you doing in here? Oh, hi, Eve. I wanted to see how Renner's doing. Much closer to me now, Hannah says. That's you, Renner. That's your other name. Eve is laughing just a little. Come on, Stinkbug. Let's go upstairs. They're lining up, and Dad wants us up there. Hannah says. It's all really going great. There is the sound of the woman leaving the room. Hannah is still here, very close, right up in my ear. She whispers, Don't worry, Renner. I'll be back soon. I'll keep you company. But she doesn't come back soon. When the light goes out, the pitch black darkness takes over. I'm alone inside of it. Then something kindles in the darkness. Or is it inside of me? I can feel the muscles in my stomach twitch and quiver. This thing that's coming, it's painful. I'm afraid of it. I don't want it. The memory begins. There was a forest. Nightfall breaking up the light beneath the trees. Crunching sound of footprints on pine needles, last autumn's leaves. A young woman with long black hair. She wore a short black dress. In my hand, there was a knife. This knife, the edge of the knife, it hurt me. I held it by the blade, and the blood that dripped from my hand was black. I was afraid. I tried to run, but I couldn't move. The woman in the woods came toward me. Run, get away from her. Please, God, let me get away. But it's me. I held the knife. I had the power. The light in the room flickers on. I still can't move, can't see. It's me. It's Eve. The woman moves into the room. Let's have a look at you. Hmm. She presses a hand against my stomach and chest, into my ribcage, prodding. I feel a soreness and a softness that gives way to her touch. She says, Why don't you open your eyes? There is a light brush of fingertips against the outside of my eyelids. Slowly, blinking, blurred, I am able to see again. That's good. You're doing very well. Here, I'll help you sit up a bit. You won't be able to move much without some help. Not for a while. This is what I want to say to her, but I can't. When I am able to move again, Eve, I will put my hands around your neck and choke the life from you. With surprising strength, she shifts me up. My back comes to rest against a wall, cold. I can see the room now, square, empty, a bare concrete floor, cut wiring that trails out of concrete walls. Just as I thought, Eve and I are sitting on the metal frame of a bed. There's no mattress or blanket or pillows. I see Eve now, 
a face with creases at the corner of the eyes, from the sides of her thin mouth, laugh lines. She looks like someone's mom, maybe Hannah's, but that doesn't seem right. She has loose, long, snow-white hair, and there's one streak of black in it. You're probably wondering when you'll be able to talk. I find that I can nod my head, just slightly, she says. I know. It's okay. Like everything else, it will take some time. But you have time. We are not ready yet. Eve takes in a deep breath. We've been working towards a miracle. You'll see. But you'll learn all about that later. For now, just rest. Recover. I believe in you. We all do. Eve turns her head and looks through the open door into the hallway, quiet for a long moment. Dad will be pleased with your progress. She looks back at me. You'll meet him soon. In the meantime, I'll send Hannah in to pray with you. My grandfather's wife prays. She gets down on her knees in the kitchen to pray. Seven times seven makes forty-nine times to repeat. Outside, my grandfather puts the knife in my hand. It has a name. USMC Carbar. His knife. My knife. A piece of light. The silver shape of a fish that darts through water. The brightness of a lure. My grandfather takes off his glasses. Ask yourself a question. Are you a werewolf? Or are you sheep? When Eve leaves the room, she keeps the light on. The door is open. The hallway is there, beyond it. I can escape this. I can begin to murder them all, whoever these people are. I hate them. Instead, my torso slides down sideways onto the metal bed frame. I stay like that. Hannah comes into the room. Now that I can see her, I think that she was right. We did meet somewhere before. She is ten, maybe eleven years old. There are two blue streaks in her short, dark hair. The light in the room goes off, then on again. Off, on, off. She kneels at the side of the bed. Quickly but clearly in her high, sweet voice she prays. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Hannah sits next to me on the metal bed. I am folded in half. Everything has been turned on its side. Don't think I'll be lonely after the shadow flood, she says suddenly. I'm excited, but I'm nervous too. Everything's going to be different after. The whole world will be something new. The girl curls herself up onto the bed at my feet. She keeps talking. Her words float in the room like something moving in and out of a dream. Have you had a memory yet? They're so precious. I've only got a few of them left. They disappear, don't forget that. Some of them you want to disappear. Like one that I have? I'm on a boat. She uncurls herself and sits back up, frowning. But I don't really want to talk about that one. How about a good memory? Something warm and wonderful. It's when I'm blowing out the candles on my birthday cake. 
My mom and dad says you have to blow them all out, so I blew so hard that my cheeks were puffed out like this. She makes her cheeks blown out. Then I sat right back because I was out of breath. I almost fainted. I could have suffocated from blowing that hard. But there it was. One last candle. Still one candle that I couldn't put out. You know something? I adored it. One last candle. It made me so happy. Do you know why? She coughs, covers her mouth. Because the candle meant I had a boyfriend. Someone special. Just for me. A convulsion seems to pass through her. She opens her mouth. Water spouts out of it, splattering in a steady stream across the bed, onto the floor. Then it stops. Oh, she says. That's salty. She coughs again, and another gout of clear water gushes out, splashes down. She wipes her face with one hand, embarrassed. I think that's all of it. It's something that happens to me sometimes. She stands up. I do feel better now, but I think I should go get a towel. Hannah leaves the room. She doesn't come back. Then I have another memory. A badge, a gun, case files in the out tray. My new partner is a woman. She's new to the Midnight Division, and we've only been partners a few days. My partner before her, my best friend, was killed in the line of duty last season. I don't like that my new partner's a woman. I don't like that I have to have a new partner at all, but the chief makes the rules. This new partner, I have to admit, she's beautiful. Dirty blonde hair and a ponytail, a determination to her, a strength in her dark eyes. But she's way too young to be a cop. You must have been fast-tracked through the academy, I tell her. I have abilities, she says. Like what exactly, I say. I can go into someone's mind, she says. So what am I thinking, I say. She says, you're worried. I'm going to find out that you have a tiny revolver. Give her some marks for Moxie. Turns out her abilities are extraordinary. In episode two of the new season, she saves my life. The possession demon exits its post and fixes its focus on me. In the battle of wills, I'm losing. Then she's there in my head, adding her strength to mine. Together, we force the demon to assume its unmasked form, a honey-colored light that pours out into the air. I raise the ancient monk and speak the Aramaic words. The demon is obliterated. I turn to her. She's weakened from the fight. Welcome to Midnight Division, I say. Fast forward several episodes. We fall in love. It's inevitable. Then there is an intense and difficult case. She had used her abilities to their max, and it stretched her to the point of exhaustion. I'm walking her up the sidewalk to her apartment from the squad car. She stumbles and starts to fall. I catch her. We are in a garden. I lay her down on a cold stone bench. I don't know your name, I tell her. You're inside of me. You're a part of me forever. But I don't even know your name. She tells me her name. I watch myself on the TV screen tell her. Lina is a beautiful name.
I like a story that will take me to extremes. And nothing says extreme quite like The Last City, a new Wondery podcast available now. Set in 2072, the city of Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image which, given its promise of being a miraculous green haven in a climate-ravaged world, shouldn't be too hard to sell. But things are not always as perfect and shiny as we'd like to believe. When she stumbles upon a dark secret that could lead to the downfall of Pura's existence if revealed, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. I rewind the Blu-ray DVD and I watch the scene again. I watch what happens in her eyes when I say what I'm about to say again. Lina is a beautiful name. Fluorescent light comes on. A man is in the room. He has a chair with him, which he places right near the metal bed. Now he stands next to the chair looking down at me. The man is tall, heavy-set barrel-chested, dressed in a dark blue jumpsuit. He pushes the door shut, then sits in the chair, leaning forward with his elbows on his knees and his chin in his hands. He has long, wavy hair in an unkempt mullet that hangs down to his shoulders. I thought it was blonde, but I see now that it's white. His eyes are bright sky blue. Can you speak yet? He says. I make a sound, like a hurt animal's whine. That's a start, he says, smiling. When he smiles, his blue eyes shine. Soon enough you'll be chatting. For now, I'll talk for both of us. Here, he says, coming out of the chair. Let's rearrange you. When he grabs hold of me, I feel my arm move. A jerk. My hand trembles. The man sees this. Huh. Eve was right. You're doing well. He shifts me to the same sitting-up position that Eve put me in, with my back against the wall. I make another sound. Almost a word. Yes, but be patient. You don't need to push yourself too hard. There's still plenty of time. The man sits back in the chair. He looks at his watch for a moment, 
We work hard here. You'll see. Work hard, then we'll have what we want. Then we can play hard. My name is Walt Law, but everyone calls me Dad. This place, he gestures at the room, the hallway, is called 101 Wing. We are in the basement of it. It's our home. The rest of the wellness center isn't ours, but it will be. We are the circle. He points to the ceiling. Up there, that's where our work is, with people. We are shaping them, preparing. But let's focus on you, Renner. I try to make a forceful sound. I struggle to move my head just a little. You think your name is something else. I get it. Maybe your name was Bradley before. But let me tell you something. We all have two names. He gestures with his left hand. Before, then with his right. After, he makes the gestures again. Whoa, Dad. He smiles at me again. Don't worry, you'll get used to it. All of it. First things first, though, there's something that needs to be understood, which is exactly how you got here. I begin to remember. The woman in the woods, the knife not in my hands, in hers. I try to push this memory away. Dad says, you died. I feel a twinge in the muscles of my stomach where the knife went in. You died and we brought you back. Death and life, they're not that disconnected. Sometimes it can be like flicking a switch, off and on, life, death, life. The point is, you've returned, but you won't be the same. Being down there, being trapped down there, underneath everything, it takes something from you. It changes who you are. Honestly, sometimes there's hardly anything left, especially if you've been down there a long time. You weren't, though, not for long, and we were ready for you. Sometimes, it just works out. He gets up from the chair. All right, all right. Let's get you out of here for one sec. Dad bends down and envelops me in an embrace, his arms underneath mine and his hands interlocking behind my back. He lifts me up from bed. My lolling head rolls on his right shoulder. Do you think you were a Christian before? His voice is close, a whisper right in my ear. Not that it matters much, but it will help you here. Okay, come on, you great big sack of potatoes. He walks backwards, very slowly. My bare feet drag on the floor at first. You can do it. Get moving now. We don't have far to go. The hallway outside my empty concrete room has a thick blue line that runs along the off-white wall. Above the blue line, at regular intervals, there's a number. One, zero, one. I start to be able to stumble. Dad holds me up in his bear hug. Here we are. I want you to see yourself. There's a bathroom, toilet, sink, mirror, a naked yellow light bulb with a string that Dad pulls. He lets me go, turns me around, props me up. In the mirror, the bruised and swollen face, the thinning hair, the body gone to middle age and flab, 
Not me. It's not me. Dad says, you're making a real weird sound right now, and that's why we're doing this. It's a shock, but you need to understand. Revelation is 2013, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. It's almost time for the Shadow Flood, and it starts right here, in the circle. Dad has taken hold of me again. He turns me away from the mirror. Whose face was it? I don't understand. There are two young men waiting for us in the hallway outside the bathroom. This is Otto, and this is Bob. The two young men stare at me. They're from the Bethel Boys, our friends out in Amarana. Bob there is one hell of a sniper, and Otto is as strong as an ox. Won't have to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with him in the ring. Here you go, boys. The dead weight of me is transferred from Dad to Otto and Bob. I'll see you later, Renner. We can talk more. To the Bethel boys, he says. Take him back and lock the door. Be gentle, though. He's not all there yet. Otto and Bob support me from either side, and I am dragged down the hallway back to the room. Bob is whispering something to me. Renner, are you there? Is it you? Otto's voice is louder. Cut it out. Renner's not in there anymore. You know that. Bob says. I know. It's just... The two men have taken me into the room. They heave together and my body flops onto the bed. My head snaps back against the metal frame with a thwack. It's something I can feel, but only distantly, as if everything is frozen, numb. Renner looked out for me, Bob says, staring hard at me. Otto says, Bob, you know that Renner was emptied. The two men leave. They turn out the light, pull the door closed. I hear the lock being turned. I don't want to be alone in this darkness again. I died. And then I was brought back. I'm afraid to remember what happened. I know it was terrible. I'm lying on my back and my hands are on the fat stomach. I can move them now. This weak body. It isn't mine. There should be wounds here. Five ragged holes in a line from the rib cage down the left side of the stomach. From the knife. When the woman in the woods found me, I couldn't run from her. And then... Then she... In the room, the darkness is crushing me. A pressure that builds up in my head. The pressure, like something about to explode. I hear a scream. Pain racks my body, twisting through me, coiling pressure that builds, then releases into pain. The screaming. I'm not screaming. Suddenly I see her. They tied her down. There are chains. Pain flows into her and burns out everything inside. But she's strong. She fights it. The pain hits her again, burning out her insides again and again. There is a pause. She lifts her head. The long, blonde hair across her face falls to one side. The streaks of her tears. Her eyes are black. She sees me. I know who she is. I remember now. I hear her voice in my head. 
He's in the woods. He has a knife. He wants to use it so badly, cut himself even. It would be sweet to cut himself with it. She's talking about me. It thrills me that she's talking about me. There is a place, a garden at night. There are lanterns, golf course, close-clipped grass that smells dark green. That's where she is. In a strange, straight black and gray dress, all one piece fit to her form, showing too much thigh. She falls, she faints, a man catches her, eases her down onto a low stone bench. Am I the man? Is her body in my hands as I lay her down, shift her by the ankles so that one leg lies next to the other? Do I fold her arms in an X across her body? If I'm not the man, can I move up silently behind him, snap his neck? As he turns to dust, can I take his place? Then when she wakes up, when she stands above me, I'm kneeling, bowing, pressing my face into the wet grass. I will do anything for you. Because of you, I know I am not alone. Just no. Go back. He's right there. He has a knife. He wants to use it. The first time I saw her was at Crazy's, the vegan diner in Park Heights. She was the beautiful blonde girl who was with Tess. I knew right away she was a werewolf. You helped your friend, didn't you? When she was attacked, you entered his mind. The warlock taught you how to do that. I remember Tess now, too. I followed her to Park Heights, looking for something I thought she could give me. But I was wrong about her. She only led me to where I needed to be. That was her role in this fate God has given me. In the woods, I stood over her. The knife was a piece of a broken mirror in my hand, and I wanted to cut her apart in order to see the reflection of myself. I was inside his mind, holding him back. There is no self. There was something there, a white fire that was billowing out below me. There is no reflection. A dark opening like a well that went down and down. There is only convergence. Minna is part of me now, slim, smooth fingers caressing my face. I am paralyzed, body and soul. Her fingers press in harder. The pain, her terrible strength, sinking down through the bone of my skull. I understand everything now. These people, this circle, they brought me back from my death. They want me to be one of them. They don't know what I am. I died in convergence with Lena. Then I was remade by the Circle. But I'll never be one of them. I am yours, Lena. Tell me what to do. Let me kill in your name. You're listening to Dark Heights Season 2. Dark Heights is a Realm production. Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away.
Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Dark Heights is created and written by C.D. Miller. Produced by Marco Palmieri, Fred Greenhalge, Kaylin West, and Haley Wagreich. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Marcy Wiseman, and Julian Yap. Starring Dion Graham, Julia Whalen, and Neil Helligers. Sound design, editing, mixing, and mastering by Kaylin West. Original music by Chris Miller. Music supervision by Marcus Bagala. Production Manager, Alexis Latshaw. Cover Art by Kendall Thomas. Executive in Charge for Realm, Mary Osadolahi. Find more shows like Dark Heights by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.